Welcome to Conversations in Grief, a podcast from Anamkara, an organization set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with their grief and loss and journey on. I'm Sam Whelan Curtin, and in this podcast series, we'll be hearing from parents as they share their own unique stories of their children and their journey through grief. In this episode, we will be talking about the experience of multiple losses with Kathleen as she speaks to us about her children, Gronya, Dara and Fergal. Kathleen, thank you for being with us to share your story. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? I'm Kathleen Keyes. I have three children. They're still with me in presence. So I relate to them as present. And uh, Gronya was born in 1986. And she was the oldest and she passed in 2002 and Fergal was born in 1987. So there was like a year and five months between the two of them. They were like twins and Dara came third and he was 1992. So they were really close children together and um, it was always a great sort of tight atmosphere in the house. They more or less knew what they were thinking very clever and intuitive to one another and you know they were lovely they are lovely they're still very much in my life every moment of it really they're there of course I can hear how strong their presence is with you can you tell me more about Gronya, Dara and Fergal their personalities their characters their passions I think of my boys and my girl uh, Gronya played the drums um, Fergal was a really good guitarist. Dara was drumming guitarist as well. They had they were in two bands. She died when she was fifteen and a half. So Fergal got his first guitar when she was almost lying in her deathbed. But she, she did hear him play the guitar on the day of uh, his birthday. He got the guitar and he played it over the phone to her. She was in Temple Street and she'd been drumming up to then and she was very interested in um, drama a bit like myself the three of them were what I'd call they were good comics and they were taking people off they were all very they were what they were observers and they heard people and uh, they were quite good at that the three of them actually this kind of grew into them you know and they were used to having their own time to feel free to be who they wanted to be and there was no uh, pressure in the house no they were ill you know I mean Grania was diagnosed when she was two up to then she'd been having a few chest infections with cystic fibrosis it's it's a lung condition so it also obstructs the digestive system when digesting fat so she might have been a bit underweight that was a huge shock for us to hear because they thought she might have had some other conditions but they didn't think she had CF which was you know non-curable we waited for that phone call that day uh, myself and Aidan uh, were married at the time and the phone rang and we were in the hall waiting we picked up the phone and the diagnosis came across the phone into my husband's ear and he put his hand out to me and somehow I heard the doctor say it's positive, 
but I couldn't hear it like nowadays, technology and all that, but Aidan put his hand out to me and I felt that when he put his hand out to me that day that it was forever. Sitting on the stairs trying to digest this, this diagnosis, I remember thinking, I can almost hardly look at her because I will now look at her and I will say, she has cystic fibrosis, my baby. But I did. I knew then, in a moment, that she was no different to a few moments ago. She was still the same beautiful toddler, but she had this disease in her body. And this would change everything because we were told this is, uh, you know, a shortened life experience for your children, for your child. And we had to hear that and that changes you as well. That was the beginning. And um, she lived to be 15 and a half, but she picked up a very virulent bacteria in Temple Street from another child. And at that time they were mixing people who had cystic fibrosis, which they wouldn't do it now in a month's Sundays. It was passed on to Fergal. Well, it was passed many years later. She got around eight years of age. And so uh, we'd already had our third child, Dara. We had him in 1992, but he came positive with CF. And it's a one in four chance with each pregnancy. I was carrying it, Aidan was, but we didn't know when we had Grania. But we had two children and Fergal came up positive as well. First two children, but Fergal was, he was in between, he was, he was milder. But then when we had Dara, just happened, I became pregnant thought, oh no, this can't happen. He's going to be okay. But he turned up positive. And uh, very rarely would that happen, that you'd have three children who'd have CF. I mean, we loved them to their hearts. We just loved them to pieces. And and the CF never defined them. But they had to have antibiotics in hospital regularly, particularly Gwanya. She was the illest. She was the oldest. And... Uh, Fergal was very mild for many years. He died at 31. Grania died at 15 and a half. And Dara at 19 and three quarters. He was just on the cusp, you know, of becoming a man. And the three of them, you know, they had their very separate, beautiful kind of um, natures. It was great. It was great, but it was very tough. There was the suffering and the joy. And both were kind of you know, impinging on the other, but the thing is the children were really happy. Their happiness was was profound, really. And they had so many friends who were in the house all the time. It was a very open house. And there was music, there was drama. There was all endeavours and they, they loved school and it didn't, you know, it didn't really impinge, but they, they suffered, yes. But they didn't show it, they didn't wear it. I knew as, a, as their mother at some level that this time had to be lived to its full and fruitful way. Uh, that every moment, I think there's something in all of us that's somewhere deep down and if we open it, it's like an egg, you might never crack it. But there was something there that, and I started to write. I have diaries, a big box full of archive because I'm writing a book now and I'm now emptying the archive in to the book and I go back now 20 years, 30 years and I see their lives then. So with the grief, that's... Oh, it's like an 
another world. When I opened that box, took out the first diary to, to enter into my to laptop and um, I lit three candles. And that moment was a central moment to me because Fergalus died two and a half years ago and I couldn't believe that Fergal went. Fergal dying was the end of my world entirely. Now each, each of them, it was the end of the world, but he carried Grania and Dara on his shoulder and I saw them in him. I was able to, I had my son there and they all happened different times. So you were asking me, what's it like when you have more than one child that you lose? It's, it's, it's almost mind blowing. Through those multiple losses, first Grania and then the boys, you've been on such a journey through this grief. And it, it almost closes your mouth. I'm like, I can hardly say that because while I did li- live through it, when Grania died, um, you know, the boys were my first. Fergal and Dara were my first thoughts. And, you know, but they were on a double whammy because their dad had left a year before. Grania died and Grania was very upset. She got quite sick. She loved, you know, she had a great connection with her dad. He loved her better than he loved himself. Maybe that was the reason why he couldn't stay. You've given such positivity into their time. You ensured at every moment that they lived very good lives. Talk to me a little bit about the journey after Grania passed. That was myself and Fergal and Dara. And I suppose you'd break that down to when Aidan left, there were five of us. And then when I'd be setting the table, there were five knives and forks. Then Grania was gone in a year, nearly to the day, because he left New Year's Eve. He didn't come back from work. And she died on the 3rd of January following year and then there were three knives and three forks like even down to things like that how that can just break split your heart in two and you're like I used to even set the table for for four of us because Grania had, had been there for a year after Aidan left it was four knives and forks and that was so heartbreaking because it was a husband and a father gone but then to think that the other knife and fork was taken away. And that was your child. They were so close. The three of them, they loved one another so much. I think being ill as well and sharing that, they had that shared uh, part of themselves. Of course, they fought as well, like every child. And in every house, they weren't perfect. But they were always kind of talking about stuff. They were always talking and laughing. There was a real comedic sort of um, view. After he died, they went to the cemetery with me and I said, lads, we were all standing around looking down at Dara's bed. And I said, lads, you just think, Dara, he lost his sister and he was very close to Grania. Grania mammied him because she was six years older than Dara because he was the youngest. And I said, when you when you heard, you know, Dara with all the, because Dara was just very funny, he was very naturally funny. He could have been, I'd say, a stand-up comedian. And he was just, I said, he still cracked the jokes for you, but he was going through the pain within his own soul. But he could still do that. He was able to, I suppose, forget himself and go out to them. He could be selfless enough to go out to them and say, you know, be in this other space with them. And yet, deep down in there, this pain was clogging him. But that, that explained it very well because that night Troy went out to him. They were having the crack. But 
he was crying just in those moments, which I think is it's lovely vulnerability. So it's been only two and a half years since Fergal died. There's a uniqueness to experience of multiple losses. You've been living through grief repeatedly and you've also been caring for them for so long. Now, being on the other side of that caring role, what has that been like? I found that very difficult. It was like after Fergal died, it was a full stop I came to. Everything stopped. The house stopped. Because it was me and Fergal for six years after Dara died. And he was hoping for a transplant, but he had a very resistant bacteria. And it turned out that if he, if he hadn't the transplant, he would die without it. If he had it, he would possibly die with it. So it was one of these awful situations that he had to look at, what'll I do? But he, he, he was a fighter. He was a gangster for working on his, on his condition and his disease. He was a disciplinarian at that because he'd been sick for effectively maybe a lot less time than the others had. But he had this bacteria hosting in his lungs. And so, you know, he came to the point where he had, you know, he had damage in his lungs. And so um, with the bacteria pushing it out, uh, it kind of came to a natural finish. And... uh, he was on a list and um, there was me and him down to two. That was particularly cruel and awful time. And me and Fargal, like our closeness, I couldn't even describe how close we were. It's, it's hard to get that across in articulation alone. He didn't want to leave me. He could die. But mum, what are you going to do? You're going to be on your own. I can't leave you. So all his love was put into that basket. None of the love was in his own. He was reading. Everybody was reading. Anthony Romello was reading. He was a philosopher. He was an avid reader. There's been so much you've had to go through. What has been of value in terms of coping along this journey? Particularly now that Fergal has passed. Yeah, when he died... um. I I was very bad and uh, I felt like take my own life but my body was like emptying out it's this word kenosis which I think is a Greek word and it's the act of emptying out I was emptying out but I've been emptying out for 20 years and uh, I was trying to not do it Um, I wanted to go I couldn't even think of the uh, of what it might be like to stay. That's how far I was from. And it was like, uh, well, who's left now? I'm here. This this kind of like, like, they were like snakes. There were snakes inside me, nearly making me laugh at, at, at my pain. They, they, were make, they were tickling my pain. And I, I hate it. When I say I had self-hatred and I had anger that would shove me right off that cliff, it's the anger that was cruel cruelty of anger. I've written a lot about anger in the book, for the book. The anger, the fucking God, the you fuck, you know, 
I can't, I, I won't use the language here, but I pulled him and the devil, I said he was, I said the devil was actually better than, if there was a God, the devil had to be better than, nobody could send this, do it to my beautiful children, send this, and break my heart like this, and how dare he or she or it, or whoever the fuck it was. I've done a lot of psychotherapy in my day. I went to Irene for 10 years after Ronya died and Dara died. Um, I went to Pieta House I just giant leaped and they were amazing people God bless them I had 15 sessions they were emergency sessions to pull me back from this brink I didn't know where I was I, I was in the sky and I was in the ground I was like being pulled off the ground being thrown against the walls of my own mind I was in my bedroom I was at night I couldn't sleep other people were the worst enemy that anyone could ever have. Other people, like, only I have these friends that I really value, but there's a lot of other people that need to get out. People are so frightened. They're, they're so frightened of you. You've lost your children. Cross over to the other side of the road. You know, perish the thought that, that I might ever lose a child. Even family can do it. Because family are so frightened as well. I have a sister who is very frightened. I'm like, come on, shake it up. Speak it out. Say it to me. Please be in my space. And I think the big thing about grief is when you meet somebody who's grieving, just hold them, hold them, hold them metaphorically. Put your arms around them yourself and hold them. And, you know, be sensitive to them. And... My psychotherapist calls it, there's a word called mentalization. And that is the act of holding somebody in that space. Uh, like like they were like a piece of glass or china. Because they are breaking, they're broken. And don't, don't shy away, don't back back. Don't bring in um, suddenness in there and start talking about family or whatever. Because... My heart breaks when I see my nieces and nephews. Sometimes I'm around, or if new life comes into the family, which it did. My twin sister, her son had a baby, and oh God, I was, I was, you know, I'm her twin, and we're very close. And I just kept thinking, I won't see my grandchild, who has the same beautiful eyes, and I won't see the curly hair of my own children, and I won't, I won't, kind of see how beautiful they were. They were and all their attributes in this baby, this grandchild, so. You speak about feeling alien in that sort of space. Are there spaces where you've reached out for support where you found commonality of experience? Like with the other parents in Anamkara? I, I think just sitting, even if you don't say anything, uh, in the midst, even on a, a Zoom, um, you don't get it as good as probably as you would in person but we have learned to be together on Zoom and we've had so many Zoom calls together and just speaking to to the mothers and the fathers and listening to them just looking at their faces I feel someone else understands this someone else is living every day with this and that really helps me because sometimes you one is inclined to think one is the only person who's gone through this, but there's so many other people every day and that has helped me a lot.
I know it's still quite fresh in so many ways, but tell me, with Gronya and Fergal and Dara, how do you connect to their memory? The way you describe them, they're still so very with you. Can you talk about that? When I go to sleep and close my eyes, I see them behind my eyes. I've gone to see some of these rituals, like we do our meditation, first of all. Everybody carries out something to the fire and we light it up. And I enjoy going to those and then we go back inside and we talk about what happened at the fire. We kneel down, we throw in a little bit of wood and we kind of put our hands in and out through the smoke and ask for what it is we need in our psyche. And with your writing as well, that you talk about, is that a way for you to connect as well? I have, my head has been stuck in the book for the last year and a half. Do you know what? I go into the book because I go into the kids. They're there. I started to keen when I was in Roscommon. I was writing and I didn't know I was crying. And a friend of my sister was coming down into the scullery and she heard me. And she, she said, oh, Kathleen, don't cry for your for your beautiful angels. They wouldn't want you to be crying. I said, because I couldn't stop crying. I said, Kathleen, I'm, I'm clearing out my soul. If I don't clear it out, Kathleen, I I won't be well, I'll be sick. And then she starts to tear up. So that was a beautiful moment because she was trying to stop me, but she began to tear herself because she'd lost Joe, the lovely Joe. And uh, that was a beautiful moment, the release. And I was giving her like the permission almost to be in my company and to, to open that kind of well, I suppose, of of absolute grief and she did and I'll never forget it Thank you for sharing your bravery and speaking about this Kathleen there's such power in your sharing of your story for parents who are listening to this particularly those who have experience of multiple losses what message would you have for those other parents? To keep a smile there on your face because every time you think of your your child they are your smile and keep that to the forefront but rest yourself and don't rush it stay with it it's like stay on that side of the road it's like when you're walking to school every step one after the other and let the sun shine down if you have something in your mind write it down let the paper take it because I always feel when I wake in the morning early they're there because I know I've been with them at night and I'm trying to recall so always those keep them written just a few words write it down and do it after you wake early in the day or late at night they're there I always find them very present to me at those times and I know that whatever is happening to me in my life they're stringing it down Rest, sit, stay, don't rush. Allow them, open up the gate, because I think the gate is that bit that's open. I I, I feel open to where they are and open up that space. And as soon as you start to open it out, like yield right, they'll come in. But it has to be done in a sort of a state of grace and kind of 
relaxation and self-belief. Believe in yourself. Never mind what this one and that one and the other one are saying. Stay in the in the body and the rest will take care of itself. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Kathleen. And we dedicate this episode to the memory of Gronia, Dara and Fergal. We know the power of hearing the stories of other parents and how this can help in navigating the journey of grief. Adam Cara provides information, resources and bereavement support after the death of a child of any age and through all circumstances. They hold regular group meetings and information sessions in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can find out more by visiting www.anamcara.ie or you can call plus 353-1404-5378 or from outside Dublin 085-2888-888 and if calling from Northern Ireland 028-952-13120 We would like to thank all the parents who have spoken to us and shared their stories for this podcast series. Thank you for listening and be kind to yourself.